This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. The Annie Fry Show YouTube live chat poll of the day is sponsored by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods. That is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's us. That's right. Gotta love this American ride. Right, you need to take the time and get the full picture. Don't get me wrong. I love the ladies. I mean, they rev my engine. But they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady. This is the Annie Fry Show. And welcome back. I'm Ryan Ricker filling in here for Annie Fry. One more hour of the show. And I, you know, I'm looking through some of the different stories that are starting to really take shape. And there's this one story that keeps coming up about, <laughs> I just read the headline, cocaine residue found on Hunter Biden's gun pouch in 2018 cases. Prosecutors are arguing that there's no reason to dismiss this case. There's plenty of evidence that he broke a pretty serious law, um, not only in the way that he disposed of guns in the past, but being a known drug user, continued to uh, have use and access to them. But when I read that headline, tell me if I'm wrong for thinking this. If you were to go through most of Hunter Biden's possessions, how much <laughs> cocaine residue would you find? Yeah, I think like I'd start everything? with his fingernails. <laughs> I would say 90% of what he owns is has cocaine residue just, on it. Just the pinky nail that's really long. <laughs> you know what, though? The, in his defense, you get a little cocaine on your guns every now and then. <laughs> it happens. You know what? That's Everybody can identify with that. All right, Scarface over here. It's uh, But that's the problem, I think. Um, and I think Hans brought this up a couple of weeks ago, essentially saying that him being in contempt of Congress would essentially violate his bond, which means that he should, if a, if a good judge would look at that, if any was anyone else, they would revoke the bond and put him in holding waiting for this trial. So I know that he's getting special treatment because none of that would ever happen to Hunter Biden. And I don't know if it would be the right thing to do. You know, it it might not be the right thing to do for the you know president of the United States son because it would be looked at as a huge you know problem. But nonetheless, 
it goes to show you he is getting special treatment. Special treatment would be when the prosecutors and the defense came together and said, you know what, we're going to slap him on the wrist and give him immunity from all charges in the future. That is insane. And luckily, a judge tossed out that plea deal. Um, but so you got to really make sure you're doing this by the book. And if you're doing this by the book, there needs to be more attention put into this. And I'm sure the prosecution has a lot more on him that is not being allowed to bring forward, mostly by probably federal pressures that stop them from doing so because he is Hunter Biden. And they're still doing a documentary on him, too, right now. Uh, yeah. That's got to be pretty terrible. But let's um, look at this one story in the Post-Dispatch. So. A woman, this is kind of a weird story to begin with. Several landlords accused of illegally renting out condemned properties in South St. Louis. This is quite a whopper of a story. So almost 40 condemned homes in South St. Louis have been rented out to people with drug and mental illness, uh, drug addictions and mental illness, according to a lawsuit that was filed by the city. This is a whole different level of slum landlord, honestly. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, you are really taking advantage of vulnerable people and you're probably doing this under the guise of I'm helping them when no one else would. I'm guessing that's what one of their defenses will be. But five associates of Dara Daughtry uh, and nearly a dozen businesses registered to their names are named in a lawsuit, which accuses the landlords of continuing to rent out properties that have been boarded up and declared a nuisance by city officials. Some of them lacked electricity and running water. This is just, to me, peak disgusting uh, when it comes to landlord predatory behavior. Okay. I'm, Have you seen the story? No, I haven't, but I'm, I'm trying to get the picture here. So when you initially read it, I thought what you're saying was that somebody who didn't own these properties <laughs> was just coming along and saying, well, that's mine. I'll, I'll let you rent it from me. But that's not. You're saying this is somebody who does own these properties, but they're just, they've, they're condemned and they're in terrible condition and they should not have somebody living in them, and they're continuing to rent them out. Yes, so okay. that's what it looks like. Yeah, um, and I don't know if that's the case because there's so many different properties. I'm, I think that's the case with all of them. So not to say what you're describing doesn't happen. That seems to be fraudsters acting in a bad way as essentially uh, you know, claiming something that's not theirs, collecting money, and then disappearing or becoming untraceable after that happens. That seems to happen a fair amount when it comes to the rental properties. They'll post something up online. They'll claim to be the owner of this property. They'll say, okay, we need a deposit because you know we're going to rent this out. So if you really want to see it. And in the I guess, mad rush of trying to find a place to live. A lot of times people from out of town trying to move in say, okay, fine. I don't want to lose this place. I'll put the money down. Well, then they'll show up and then they'll find the place was actually not theirs to begin with. The money that they gave is gone forever. That happens all the time, apparently. Uh, but this is different. This is literally condemned locations that are boarded up with probably markers from the city and uh, documentation stapled or nailed to the front board that was once the door or window and telling them that this is not suitable for humans to live in. Uh, you see this a lot of times too, abandoned buildings that are just taken over by drug addicts because they have no other place to go. And then if you look through the window, it's basically they're starting fires inside and there's a bunch of needles and human feces laying around, just a bunch of junk. But it's not someone that's uh, charging them to do that. It's just essentially homeless found a place to go where the police will essentially leave them alone until there's enough uh, evidence or at least there's enough complaints against them. This is actually people charging them to live in these conditions. That is, I mean, pretty lousy, all things considered. Uh, and it goes to show you that we do have a lot of problems when it comes to landlord tenant issues. And we do have a lot of issues when it comes to empty, vacated buildings in the city of St. Louis that probably should be uh, torn down to begin with.
Yeah, I'm just like there's laws against this, right? That there there you <laughs> Hey, I don't understand how somebody can just like you were saying some of these houses like the electricity and the plumbing doesn't work. They don't have running water. Yeah. How you can feel good about yourself about renting that out. But you know, I've never owned or rented property or rented out property that I owned, I should say. I don't understand I don't understand what kind of person could do this. It, it goes back to like like you were saying, you have to be such a disgusting, horrible individual to do this that you can't afford to put money in. The, like, what is a rent? Like, what is a property owner responsible for in a rental situation of keeping up on the property? Well, I can answer that because I have rental properties. You, so I'll say first, to let a place get so bad that it gets condemned, mm-hmm. you have to be just completely negligent of your own investment that's what that's what surprises me because this is your property you're letting it go so devalued that basically and i don't know what the situation here but for me that would have meant that i would have been lazy and not just for a short time for a long time because if you don't check on your tenants at all because look tenants can destroy a place don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong but for for you to never ever check and I've met I've met landlords who've done this. They they just never as long as the checks are clearing, they never check on their place, Oof. which I cannot do. And maybe it's when you get so big, you have so many of them, you can't keep up with them. But to me, you if this is your investment, you're just negligent and lazy for letting it get to that point because if you're doing even every three-year walkthroughs. You're going to see if there's a major problem, and you're going to address it because if you don't, you're going to lose money. So I don't understand why they would do that. I'll give you a couple of scenarios that I think could happen. Number one, they probably have a home that was repossessed because of all the problems, and the current homeowner couldn't fix them. You goes through an auction. Someone buys it super cheap because they have the intention of if they were able to fix it up, then they would be able to sell either sell the property for a large profit or rent the property out. But some people buy it up and then they say, well, you know what? We're just going to rent it as is, as in this is a, a quick money grab for them. It could be an instance where sometimes these slum landlords will get these properties, but they won't buy insurance for them. So something catastrophic happens and they'll be like, well, I guess we're just going to have to leave it because I'm not paying for a new roof or I'm not going to fix where the fire was or I'm not that foundation's cracked halfway down. That Who cares? You know, something could happen where they just become so negligent in it or they don't have the insurance to fix something that insurance normally would fix that they just keep going down the route. And their mindset is... Rentals are so high right now. People are paying fifteen hundred dollars for a something like this. You know, if we charge them five hundred, they'll be able to look past the giant leak in the roof, or they'll be able to look past that the windows are boarded up because they're all cracked and destroyed, or they'll be able to look past that there's no heater water because otherwise they're going to be living in a portage on uh, downtown because there's no place for them in the homeless shelters right now. And we're not going to ask questions when they bring all their druggy friends in and start a fire in a barrel and start shooting up and then, you know, hunching over because they're off the street and no one's going to see them inside of this building. That's the type of, I think, mindset that goes on. People look at it as a cheap way to uh, exploit these vulnerable people, either the homeless or drug addicts or mentally ill people. And they look at it as, for the most part, very little impunity. There's nothing that's going to happen to them because, well, Nothing has happened to landlords doing this in the past until a lawsuit like this happens. Um, It looks like, for the most part, 
the city should have taken this more seriously earlier than this because there's a lot of abandoned properties and there's a lot of this going on. I don't know if it's always a landlord taking advantage of these vulnerable people, but in a lot of cases, there are people that are sympathetic and allow this to happen on their properties. The neighbors are the ones that normally bring it up because they don't want to live by it or have to walk by a property or have their the threat of their kids confronted by one of these, you know, meth heads. And it seems like even when the neighbors bring up the the problem, the police do nothing or the city does nothing. So it's allowed to happen. And they probably look at it as a way that it, it it's probably one of those things where they can keep on the gravy train until eventually someone stops them. And it looks like the city has finally done one thing at least. Yeah. I think you're exactly right about how this would happen. It's probably somebody who bought a property very, very cheap, probably a number of years ago too, not recently and hasn't kept up with it because they thought, you know what, this is a piece of crap property. Anyway, I'm not going to put any money into it. I'm just looking at return. If I can just keep renting it and then, but then once the, once the city steps in and says, this is condemned, people can't live here. Mm-hmm. Th- then you are breaking the law and you're uh-huh. doing something stupid. I don't think they're they're looking at this and going, oh, we're trying to help poor people or we're trying to hurt poor people. They're looking at purely dollars and cents. This is a property right now that I own that I paid X amount for. I'm making $0 on it. If I can keep renting it, I will be making X amount on it. Therefore, I need to get some sort of return on my investment. You just can't do it when you don't have a living habitat (laughs) that that's the problem is that you didn't keep up with it enough even the bare basics which is all you have to do for a lot of these really low-end places just do Mm. the bare base you don't have to have wonderful brand new countertops Mm -mm. you just have to have it to where your pipes aren't freezing you have water and you have electricity you you flip the switch people don't get electrocuted and it doesn't start a fire that's that's all and you, you don't do. fall through the baseboard into the basement like Home Alone Two when they're renovating that one place. Right. Um, and you know there were schemes like let me give you an example of one that happened here in Detroit where it would go to the land bank and essentially there'd be a home that would be up for auction and there was a, there was a huge scandal that caused uh, the uh, I guess prosecutors to step in because there were elected officials that were looking at what would have been quote unquote deal properties and then they were the ones that would win every time and then they would flip and resell some of these homes over and over again they stacked the deck so that they would be the only ones in possession of the good properties that were going through the land bank and they also found that they were repossessing these homes at a incredibly large rate after people started to fix them up under minor minor circumstances that normally you would say you would normally work with the city in order to like fix the problem like for example sometimes you get these dirt cheap properties that needed a lot of work in them. And they would say, well, you have a year or two years to fix it up and then it's yours. So let's say people start working on them and then they would find a minor code violation after a year and they'd say, well, I guess it's ours again. And all of the work the person put in would then essentially be lost for nothing. And then someone else from a government standpoint that was in authority would be able to buy it dirt cheap and then take it over and then reflip it for something. And we saw that happening in Detroit a lot of times. Um, And I'm sure it happens in other cities too. There's people taking advantage of their position. They know what some of these investment deals are, much like Congress knows how to buy stocks. You know what I mean? The Nancy Pelosi's of the world, kind of insider trading deal. But in this case, it's rental or real estate properties. Uh, it, It doesn't surprise me though, that people would take advantage of a situation where there's cheap properties, promise to fix them up. And then this is the way they act to it, except for in St. Louis, There's so many abandoned properties all around. Not only is it a threat for drug addicts or whoever else to move in, it's also fire threats. We saw that just a couple of uh, summers ago 
where there was a big fire. Firefighters go in trying to see if there's anyone inside and a firefighter dies because they're battling a fire that was set by, you know, a drug addict inside of one of these buildings. And the firefighters are doing their duty. But these buildings are so neglected that they fall so quickly that it becomes a risk and a problem for those that are fighting the fires. We got so many of these. And, you know, how many times has the city of St. Louis said they're going to go in and they're going to start cleaning this up and they're going to start beautifying the city so we don't see so many abandoned buildings. But it's the same number. You go on their website and you kind of do the abandoned building tracker and it keeps growing, not getting better. Like people yeah. don't want to take over these garbage properties. That's not except the, the ones that would do this. That's not the city's job to do that. That's why you need private investment uh-huh. to come in. And th- this is a problem because <clears throat> it just kind of circles the drain. Once it starts, it ju- so uh, a house gets condemned on one block. Well, then the house next door to its value goes down right. and the whole street starts, the, the property value goes down the whole street. Well, then people can't keep up and the whole street starts to fade. Right. That's why when people talk about, and it's so stupid and it angers me so much, not that this is really affects me directly, but when people rail against gentrification. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. When a city has an area that starts to like become cool again uh-huh. and people start to come from outside with money in, we go, oh, that's a cool area now. I'm going to invest some money in it. That's a good thing for your city. That is a really good thing. It's a good thing for your city, but then the residents that live in that area are at a certain level of income that they can't afford. Because when people come in and start investing, that drives the prices up of renting and all that stuff. And then those people can't afford where they used to live. I understand their heartbreak. Yeah, but guess what? If you own property right next to where that's happening, the value of your place goes up. That's good. Right. And then the downside is, is like, well, if you don't embrace that influx of cash then like what you're saying the circle the drain now your house is worth nothing and you don't have a house because it fell down within itself because nobody was able to fix it or keep it nice yeah i, I want to go back to some wiggins that you mentioned there and, and i don't know if maybe we're, we're looking at this differently i think the city does have an obligation when it comes to these abandoned homes because if they own the property i think they do have an obligation either to demolish it or get rid of it it doesn't have to be at the hands of a private entity if you are the city of St. Louis and you are in possession of that property and you don't know what to do with it, then you do have an obligation to do something to make it attractive for someone else to take it over. Okay, I'll actually agree with you on that. I, I'm just saying it's not the city's job to really come into neighborhoods and take them over and make them better when mm. they're forced to take over a property because of delinquent taxes right. or something like that. Oh, sure. Then okay. it would be in their best interest to turn that property into something that's generating income for even themselves well, or they could sell or, it. Yeah, I, like go in inspect the property can this building be saved yes auction it off as is can this be building be saved no Dem- demolish the building then auction off the plot to a, you know and then you get the private funds in there and it starts going again but you, you can know- i say this is where the city should start let me just say this because you can go online and you can look at a map at all the buildings the homes private homes that are owned by the city of st louis right now what i would do is look at every school on that map do a I don't know, three mile radius around that school. If there's any abandoned homes that are derelict in there that the city owns, you start there because there's no reason kids should be walking to school in front of these crack dens that are being used this way. And then, you know what? See how much money that costs and then keep expanding and extending it out and making it more attractive where people can go and, you know, maybe start these communities without the worry that a city owned property that you're not selling, allowing to sit there is going to become a drug house and you're going to lose every investment in that home you just built or that home you just renovated in the city of St. Louis. I mean, Ryan, what you're talking about is responsible government (laughs) and responsible people running government, because that's the kind of creative solutions that you elect officials to do. And 
yet we have a city right here that the focus is trying to find funds to uh, f- to make sure that people can drive a certain distance to get abortions. You know, these are the mm-hmm. kind of things that they focus on instead of actually making their citizens' lives better through things like that. And some of that stuff actually is the government's responsibility as much as I don't want big government uh-huh. the government has to take over in certain situations well, where there's delinquent taxes there's no other option well, you're not an anarchist exactly exactly <laughs> uh, when we come back from the break there's a few other things I want to get to we only have the the rest of the hour before Mark Reardon but I saw this one story of a passenger trapped in an airplane bathroom sounds so miserable there's so many of these flight issues if the doors aren't flying off of these planes now they can't even get the door open and you're stuck on the throne for the entire flight sounds miserable there's also some video game stories in there and i know brad plays video games but much like the cds and dvds it seems like everything's going to digital uh one of the heads of a major video game company said get comfortable with not owning video games so I wanted to bring that up. Artificial intelligence. We got a lot to get to on the show still here. I'm Brian Ricker filling in. Don't go anywhere on 97.1 FM Talk. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. You know, no one's ever invited me to go to Funky Town, and no one's ever asked me to get jiggy with them. What does that mean? <laughs> does that mean anything? <laughs> Nobody's asked you to take them to Funky Town it's, either? It's an exclusive no. club, Ryan. It's an uh, exclusive club. Uh, what am I missing out on? What goes on in Funky Town, and what goes on when you're getting jiggy? Well, the first rule of Funky Town is you don't talk about Funky Town. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you can't get jiggy unless you're in Funky Town, so it's kind of exclusive. Ah, oh, maybe that's why. So once you get there, they're like, okay, there's a street sign that says to the right, jiggy with it land and then to the left is where the restaurants and bathrooms are yeah basically i I can't confirm that but um, does does funky town share a border with wiggins america (laughs) no we're mostly an island (laughs) good uh you know there's a couple of stories i wanted to get to and they're both i don't know kind of sex stories uh do you mind if we bring them up here okay Uh, i hate talking about these kind of things i get real uncomfortable 
So Newsweek had this story. What's up with this Kentucky Republican that wanted oh, to amend the state law so they can have sex with their first cousin? What was up with it? Wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's Newsweek's story. That's illegal uh, in Kentucky? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, Brad. Uh, a Kentucky Sorry, Republican introduced legislation that would amend the state's law so a person who had sex with their first cousin would no longer be criminally liable for incest before withdrawing it and claiming an error was made during the drafting process. So <laughs> essentially, it was against the law. It's considered incest, sex with a first cousin. But when he drafted it, it took that off the table of a definition of what would constitute incest. So when that was put in there, they said, wait a minute. <laughs> and then the, apparently he changed that pretty quickly. Um, what's up with that? <laughs> this is why I would like to be a lawmaker is to stand up in those moments and just be like, uh, we can still have sex with our second cousins, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what Shelbyville was made in The Simpsons? Essentially, there's Springfield where The Simpsons live. I thought live, that and then there sounded was familiar. Yeah, I, yeah, there was something rattling in my brain that said that it was like a, a comedic something where somebody stands up and goes, and then we can marry our cousins. <laughs> I thought maybe, that's, maybe that's what that was. I think you're right. Uh, Okay, the other sex story comes from the Pope. Uh, So he's out there and he's saying sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope Francis advising uh, the Catholics now. Um, Can I ask you just something? If you attend church services, does that ever come up from the pulpit where they talk about sex? Yeah. Yeah. Event they do it does it mostly about the the damaging nature of pornography when it comes to marriage couples people young men young women things like that I I normally hear it in that context but do you hear it as a sexual gift from God like do you ever hear it in that context at yes church? actually yes so we do really yeah yeah it, provided you you stay within the confines of marriage yeah that's yeah yeah so how is that in context, like how does that come up? Is it a special? I think they. I mean, like, they talk about it a little bit jokingly usually, but they talk about it being a good thing uh, between a man and wife. And uh, I had a, I had a preacher for a long time who would refer to uh, going home on the weekends and doing chore play, <laughs> as in, like hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bunch of chores here with the intention that maybe this leads to something later tonight. You know, I mean, it's like. It's kind of funny, but it leads to a larger point, which is that these are good things within a marriage. Yeah. I mean, Song of Solomon, the whole book is is about a healthy sexual relationship. You know, what, what yeah. the Bible prescribes as, as a healthy sexual relationship. And then you read it and you go, whoa, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was in there. I mean, you got to get through some of the allegory, but then you read it, you know, and it's like, oh, holy cow. So, yeah. but I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, our church talks about it. I mean, it's, it's a. It's a part of life. It's something God created. It's something that should be discussed. I mean, we talk about everything else under the sun and what the Bible has to say on it. Why not that? Why why not speak on that? But, That's interesting. I, you know, I found at least uh, when I go to church, it's normally brought up in context of uh, things that separate you from God. When it talks about lust, pornography, things like that, and it's almost put in those contexts. It's not necessarily like a marriage session. Um, so to see the Pope bring it up, it made me wonder because I guess the Pope in the Catholics are in some kind of, I guess some of the bishops had some issues and there was some sort of controversy as of late in some of the writings that were out there. So they wanted to go and I guess better clarify the Catholic church's stance on this well, sort of thing. Historically, I thought that the Catholic church's view of, on sex was, it is mainly for procreation. It's not necessarily a recreational thing, but it, it's a procreation thing that, that there, that is the purpose and that's what you're doing. So the Pope saying this, 
is, you know, like it's kind of revolutionary for the Catholic Church. If my he probably said it in Latin too, <laughs> yeah, which makes it even more impressive because no one understood what he was saying at the time. I'm guessing this is great uh, that he's this that he's addressing it. That's great. So okay, you're like, would you high five the Pope after a uh, sermon? Like, all right, thanks, man. Uh, I don't know. I might kiss his ring. <laughs> I, you know what, though? This is something that, I mean, Brad's kind of saying this already, but this is something that the culture has completely co-opted, yeah. partially because Christians were not willing to yep. talk about it. And so we have done a terrible disservice, and I say hmm. we as in the the body of Christ, mm. not like we were alive during the Cultural Revolution. Um, but the, but Christians were not talking about sex at all, and they let the mm. culture kind of dictate what was right and wrong. And, and it was like, ah, hey, you keep it behind closed doors. You kind of hush-hush. We know it's there, but we're not going to address it yeah. really at all. And uh, at least my church, and I, I think a lot of other churches too, have have said, you know, that was a huge mistake. We need to be talking about sex. We need to be talking about things that were considered taboo because that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, it's not as if the Bible shies away from them, so why would we? I don't know. The The only time I think it's been brought up in the church that I've been to is when it was specifically a special service for married couples. Like it was, it was almost like, okay, this is something that we're going to do, but we're going to let the kids stay out of this one essentially. Yeah. When when it, my, it's, it's, this is a message for married. Yeah. People. Whenever, whenever my church talks about it, it is definitely like, okay, you probably will want to take your kids out of here. At least we give you fair enough warning to, to make the necessary adjustments because it does have to be an age appropriate conversation. Mm-hmm. But that's great, Ryan. I think, that that's not a wrong way to do it. Yeah. You know, when we talk about talking about these things at church, I don't think it necessarily has to be from the stage, from the pulpit. It can be in small groups. It can be in men's groups, women's groups. It can be in marriage I mean, retreat should, things like be. you're talking about. We talk about it at the youth group because this is something that the kids are going to face. I mean, of course, like I said, it's age appropriate and we, we set the boundaries. We say this is what God has created. This is where it's acceptable. This is where it's not. And it's it's a good thing within these confines only. And here are the dangers if you get out of those confines. So what you're trying to do is is not set a stigma about it. I mean, it is a gift from God, but again, it's like all gifts from God. It has boundaries in, in any, you don't want to pervert it in any way. Yeah. And I say this mostly not to be controversial, but I, I am kind of serious. You know, where were they in the like 60s and 70s when these priests were abusing these kids? And why couldn't this message been directed towards their own when it came to Catholics? Why couldn't this came out earlier for them to, you know, really hit home what they were doing was wrong and definitely unbiblical. But then we saw the abuses of the Catholic Church come out decades after. And there's virtually no prosecution for those because a lot of them are either dead or gone, or you know, too senile because they're, they've aged out, and eventually now they're looking at repercussions after there is no repercussions for it. Yeah, or past the statute of limitations too. Past the statute of limitations. Uh, yes. It's, yeah. It's, no, this is a great example though of keeping things in the light rather than in the dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, the more you bring these things into the light, the more you're willing to discuss them, uh, the better it is for everybody because nobody's going to be perfect on well, the any issue, but this issue in particular. I mean, like they were they were scared of the stigma of what would happen if people found out priests were doing this so they tried to hide it but then you add more stigma to that rather than making yourself out to be what you're preaching to be and saying hey this is what happened this is wrong this is the steps we've taken to address that this person will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law they'll be defrocked all of that stuff and they're gone excommunicated it gives you credibility to say hey we are cleaning our own house when you don't do that 
it gives everybody they, yeah, license to come after you. They weren't. They weren't excommunicated no, they, in they a lot weren't. of cases. No, they, they, yeah, they, they were moved. They incorrectly. They have gotten oh, yeah. there recently. Yes. Uh, but they, it took them too long. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I think 50 within, years or whatever. Yeah, right. I mean, it took Man. them way too long. So I think within the last 15 to 20 years, uh, the, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church has very much addressed these mm-hmm. things. And they are doing the right steps now. But, I mean, it's taken too long. It, it took too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it, it, just in recent years, in the last five years. I mean, it's it's very few and far between, but it seems like there's a lot of cooperation today when there wasn't in the past. And when you start to look at some of these different records that were taken by these dioceses, when you open up the books and things that were sitting there through this whole time, it makes you wonder, you know, the, the pressures of them to open it up now, if they could have just came forward and did the right thing then. And all these people that are here living with the abuses are afraid to talk about it in a lot of ways because, you know, uh, it, it's just sad. Um, who would have thought that this is where this conversation would go? Two sex topics. Um, man, this, the, I'll tell you what, this show has gone all over the place today. I always have a, a you know, good feeling going into these shows coming in, but I never know where the show's going to go. It's one of those random things of when I get to fill in here today. You want to do the poll results when we come back after the break? Some of these other things that we're uh, facing here. We will. I yeah. think it's Nikki Haley. We'll, we'll do that. One more segment left. I also want to talk about video games. I want to talk about AI and some of the other things. I had so many different topics I put into the rundown here today. I didn't even get a chance to bring up. Let's try to hit as many of them as we can before we wrap up. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Andy Fry. Don't go anywhere on 97.1 FM Talk. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker filling in one more time here for Andy Fry. You can find us online. I'm on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio, if you want to reach on there. It's always a good time when I get a chance to fill in here on 97.1. Uh, yeah, I was going to talk about this last one, but let's just do this real quick. I got so many stories that I wanted to bring up to you guys and get your take on it. There was this one story about this poor guy. He's on a flight. It's like an hour and a half flight. And he goes to use the bathroom and the door locks and it won't unlock. And he's in the bathroom. So he's in, I think this is in India. So he's stuck in this lavatory and the crew is trying to get this open. The passengers are trying to get this door open. It's just not opening. So they eventually just tell the guy, hey, we've done everything we could. Just put the seat down, sit down, and wait till we land so we can get this door open. Do not panic. Uh, I guess maybe that's not the worst place to get stuck on a plane, honestly. like I was trying to think of the level of things that would annoy me on a plane getting stuck next to someone that, you know, is taking their shoes and socks off and, you know, barefoot or kicking your seat. Or maybe you're sitting next to someone that quote unquote has a therapy animal. That's just, you know, dropping waste on the ground or whatever it is, uh, yelling and screaming passenger because they are, you know, lizard people around the flight. I'm trying to think (laughs) of the hierarchy of things that would, I would hate to sit next to on a plane, getting stuck in a bathroom where you can just sit in your own private space probably isn't the worst. Yeah, if it smelled really bad, then it would be bad. But but it, how could it? You, you flush, and it's like, what, you know, and it's gone. It's not like you're sitting around like a porta I've walked into a bathroom in, on an airport, or an airplane before, and it smelled terrible. So I don't really know the mechanics, <laughs> but I, I, I know for sure that it smelled bad. Uh, if you were in there, though, and it smelled okay, it would be a private suite for the flight. So I'm kind of with you on that. You get a little, even though it's there's not much space compared to other bathrooms. There's a lot more space yeah. in a bathroom compared to your seat. Would it not be worse to be stuck on stuck outside of it because, and then you not be able to use the restroom on a flight? Oh yeah. Well, there's more than you one. know what my you fear would, think, would be. But like you're you're stuck in there, and you're like, okay, they try to get you out. They say just hang in there. We'll get you open. Don't worry. Yeah. 
and then you're like, oh, I might as well use it. Then you start using the bathroom, and then they break it open. Oh, yeah. You know, like, right, like you got to go right when they're starting to bring out the jaws of life. <laughs> guys. Yep. <laughs> guys, I was going in here. And there you think, are, pants I think down. I would do that just, just because, just to make it feel awkward. Like, no, nah, I just did it for the lulls. That guy had a newspaper out and everything. Nobody has newspapers anymore. So there you are sitting patiently, and then you hear them starting to grind away with their power tools to get the thing open. And then you think, oh, now I'm going to drop my pants. Like, this is the time that <laughs> Surprise! Man. Uh, can I bring up this one video game story? Ubisoft is a pretty big video game yeah. company, and... Much like we've seen a revolution when it comes to movies and music, a lot of what we consume online is streams. So on demand, you find a movie or television show to watch. You're not necessarily going out and buying physical copies of DVDs anymore. Very few people do that. Music, same thing. Spotify's and all these other uh, apps allow you to listen to the music you want. You can basically find anything you want anywhere at any time, and you can listen to that sort of thing, and you don't have to go out and buy a physical CD like you used to. So they've gone to the streaming, and video games are saying that in the future, at least the head of Ubisoft, that you are going to essentially not own your video games. You're going to buy the access to the game, a digital copy or whatever it is, and you're going to be happy with not owning it. And I tend to disagree on this a little bit, but Brad, I know you're a video game player. Uh, how do you feel that in the future you're not going to get a physical copy of your games? Well, I had, I kind of was with you for a while there on on, uh, on uh, Xbox. I would always make sure that I bought the physical copy. I'd have the CD or whatever because it was just something that meant something to me. Well, my Xbox finally has, you know, bit it. It's done. It's over. I can't get it to turn on anymore. But the problem is now. A lot of the new Xboxes don't even have, like, the most expensive model, the Xbox One X, still has a disk drive. But that's like 500 bucks or something like that. And then the Xbox Series One, it it doesn't. It's, I mean, the hardware on the inside is almost the same. It just doesn't have it. Which means that if I buy that, that Series, uh, uh, Xbox Series S or whatever it is, it won't have the drive, and I just won't be able to play any of the games that I bought a hard copy for, which is the vast majority of my games. And the other side of this is, too, I, I game on PC, and I get my games through Steam and Epic Games and stuff like that. They're 100% download. I don't even have a disk drive on my gaming computer. I just download them off of Steam, and they're on my computer, but I can't play them. What I don't want to do is I don't want to go to a streaming service where you're basically streaming your game. So like a, a Netflix for video games where you would just go, okay, I want to play this game and I'm paying this group a certain amount of money because gaming is so dependent on performance and then you're at the mercy of your internet speed and you're at the mercy of their equipment, not your own. But it is something that I'm seeing some gaming, like almost streaming from a virtual gaming machine so you could get your laptop and then stream off of their machine and you don't have to burn up your graphics or whatever. Well, when when you're a pro gamer like Brad uh, who really... Uh, gets into it. I get that. And here's the thing that I don't like, because I see the stories of companies that will basically revoke a game and they'll say, you know what? We're not offering this anymore. And even if you paid for it, they did this with music in some mm -hmm. other places. I think Apple did this or Amazon, but essentially you pay the money for the game and then the developers say, well, you know what? That game's not available anymore. And you lose access to that game that you paid for. And they say, tough luck. Or that game like, it's is just problematic. Gone. And that seems to happen not often, but it happens sometimes. And sometimes, too, you find these video games that are dependent on the Internet, meaning that there's some sort of um, server involved. 
And when they take that server down, the game's gone forever. You can't play it anymore unless there's some sort of independent hobbyist that puts their own server together and finds a way to around whatever the, the game would call for and allows you to play it even further. But then, you know, you pay 50 or 60 bucks for a game that you can't really play anymore. They like to revoke that. And maybe it's just me, but when I was in the 90s, you bought a physical cartridge, you plugged it into your Nintendo, and you had that forever. You didn't have to be dependent on the internet. But it seems like anymore, they want so much control over these things that it just takes away from ownership whatsoever that uh, are we not going to own anything in the future when it comes to digital? Like uh, movies, video games, is it just are we going to be on a rental basis in the future and just give us a, 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 a fee to get access to whatever we want? And we're not going to physically own things. That's the goal. I mean, that's kind of the, the whole thing about the theory and the new world order. You will own nothing and like it or you will yeah. own nothing and be happy. Uh, we had a guest on Carol Roth and she wrote a book about this and she had a lot to say about it. But it really is at the end. It's about removing freedoms. And, you know, it's like you're giving up freedoms for convenience or whatever it is. Is that conspiratorial do you, when you look at that? Because people would look at it and say that's tinfoil hat talk. But I think it is a very strong possibility that's what they're trying to move towards. It's tinfoil hat talk until it isn't. <laughs> I what mean, I hear is a that's bunch a good of t-shirt. What I hear is two guys going, I think they're going to take away video games. I'm too worried about it. <laughs> hey, listen, you don't, <laughs> you don't want to aggravate gamers. I want a, I want a physical cartridge. <laughs> I don't want to have to play on the If there will the ever internet. be an uprising, that <laughs> will be it. What if my megabytes per second isn't fast enough? So I, <laughs> I think what <laughs> When you guys are talking about this, though, and you're talking about, oh, you will own nothing, the, 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 the yeah, issue- Yeah, then your ears perked and so up. So then I'm like, oh, wait like, a second. Well, hold on, I got to tune Because in. the issue that you guys are talking about then is more about, to me, big corporate and big government mm -hmm. controlling these things. To me, this one doesn't really fall in that category. It's more about convenience, mm -hmm. and it's more about you choosing to buy this. The marketplace would dictate well, that. Well, that's, that's always how any of that is packaged, But though. it's the marketplace dictating it, though. Because if there was a demand enough for physical cartridges, they'd make those. This isn't really. Well, this is led by the consumer. No, 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 no. no. They no, just. I don't know. They have just stopped. I mean, like if you if but you don't not, because there's not a demand for well, it. Well, they no, I don't start that. producing their products without the necessary equipment required to have a physical cartridge. Like you can't like with the Xbox Series S, you can't get a physical cartridge. They well, they've uh, removed the Xbox that option. Series X. S. X, you can have it. Series S, no, you can't. But you got to pay Can more I give you a that. couple more examples, Wiggins, that may be more appropriate? So how many Age times have you heard these car companies that have certain features built in and you have to pay a subscription to unlock the features of a car? Like car companies are starting to go down that route. Um, and they're built in. You bought the car but they don't give you access to it unless you buy the special monthly package that's available with your car. Um, they've already started to do things like that with, how many times have you heard people argue this with guns as well, to say that in order to prevent unnecessary shootings, they need to put fingerprint readers that's on guns to make sure you're idea. the absolute owner before you shoot it or something like that. So people do argue this sort of technology that links up to the cloud to authenticate or whatever it is. They put this subscription-based model that would allow for you to what they would call normal upgrades but it's not really an upgrade. It's just access to something you should have already to begin with. But they're using this as a way to try to make extra money from you. It's like a, a profit scheme. Well, I'm not saying you guys aren't bringing up legitimate issues. I'm just saying you guys are nerds. <laughs> mm. But we're right. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. We're right nerds. I'm not even that. I don't even play video games anymore. I just look at this and it, it just intrigues me that this industry is going down the same route and how many others will be doing the mm -hmm. same.
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very true that the, the the owning media thing. I know a lot of people who are purists who still will buy everything that they really like on DVD. I got to respect that. People who have full library so walls uh, it was of, a flex. of movies. Yeah, your, your Nintendo cartridges was a flex. When oh you yeah, were a kid. and your CD. Oh, yeah. Um, your like, yeah. whatever it's called, oh, yeah. the little container things that you'd have that hold like yeah, three hundred. Yep. Glass cases. And then how many CD players were uh, like cases. like a seven deck CD player on your on your boombox or whatever? That was a flex oh, too. Oh yeah. yeah, the big carousel comes out rotating. Wasn't that the day? Or the cars would have them a six CD changer in your car. How cool is that? You can just press a button and it flips it over to Stone Temple Pilots whenever you wanted it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one other AI story, and, and this is something Axios reported it. They had an interview with Sam Altman, and they were talking about artificial intelligence and really the way it's going. And it said, Altman says, chat GBT will have to evolve in uncomfortable ways. Um, here's the thing that when, when AI first came out and the way that it was developing, I was kind of naive into think that it wasn't going to develop as fast as it has. But the thing that shocks me every time I read something new about AI is that it is developing at an exponential rate much faster than I thought it ever would. That I have before I thought, no, this Terminator scenario where the supernet gets together and destroys the world would never happen, where my confidence of that has just dropped and plummeted, where I think that it, at this point we are going to be in a Terminator situation in the future. I'm, I mean, I'm starting to get nervous about AI. Are, are you guys nervous at all? Not not particularly yet. Uh, I can see the problems, but I'm, my, I'm glad, though, that people continue to point out the problems because mm-hmm. as long as we keep talking about them, I think there will be enough focus on them that they won't become necessarily a huge issue. It scares me still. I mean, before I, I was more like this is kind of a cool tool to play around with. But the more I see behind the scenes of what some of these companies are able to do with the technology that they have and how fast they're able to get it out to the public, it, it really shocks me. Results of the poll today, will Nikki Haley win in New Hampshire? It is an overwhelming no. 88% of people say she will not win in New Hampshire, while 12% say yes, she will. So there you go. Good poll. Good show. I guys, uh, I always appreciate it. Thanks for letting me fill in, making it so easy for yeah, me. Yeah, great. Ryan Thanks, Ryan. Uh, on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio, if you want to find me on there. And Mark Reardon coming up in just a few minutes on 97.1 FM Talk. Get more at 971talk.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 